Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. Welcome inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. Josh Shaw, Ryan Buckeye here uh, with an episode that we're not going to talk about COVID for once. Holy shit, this is cool. We're not talking COVID, Josh. It's like it doesn't exist anymore, my friend. COVID's gone. Trump cured COVID. He drank bleach. (laughs) He did. He did say once that um, one day we would all wake up and it just disappeared. Well, and I mean, if anybody can make it happen, it is it is it is that man. He's making <laughs> yeah. it great. Um, interesting topic today. I brought up to Josh because I always I always found it interesting when I was at um, you know a big consumer package good company is is when and why do you determine decide to a do um, a product line launch pro- or and then and then. Um, you know, an expansion, like you can do flavors, that's easy. Um, but the big thing that I'm interested in is category expansion because that's always a, a very, it's a much more difficult task to do. And we've seen brands in our space do it. And I guess I don't know if it was extremely successful or not, but it might have been. And, um, you know, we, just, the brand I'm thinking of is Quest. I mean, Quest went from protein bars to pizzas to protein. I mean, they, they, they just did whatever the hell they wanted to do. So, like, Imagine you have a brand. You're you're Mark Lovier's Outright Bar. And next thing you know, he's like, I want to I want to come out with breadsticks or pasta. I mean, that's 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 exactly like the the rationale goes into it. And and I don't know in some of your consulting gigs, Josh, if you were you involved in any of those conversations in which somebody comes to you and says, you know, we are thinking about going into a different category um, and specifically keeping the same name, not even a new brand. Yeah, I mean, I've been in the room a lot of times with those conversations. The idea of like. When do you kind of move your brand into more of like a platform brand, um, having like very diverse brand extensions, um, so not like closely related ones? Because I think that there's kind of different levels of those things where we have, you know, like the line extension idea where you're talking about with like maybe flavors or something similar like that. That tends to be when you're in a growth stage, you're launching like extra things to keep the excitement going, keep variety going. That could also just be, you know, you maybe you have a, a low sugar version or if you're in mm-hmm. a beverage or, or something like that, but it's all within the same kind of framework. Right. Uh, but then you're with the brand extension um, in our space, we see it with, you know, when people go into different categories, you know, like post-workouts, pre-workout, like those are technically, you know, brand extensions, but you're kind of more mentioning towards like the the larger ones. If you're moving from, say you're doing supplements, caps, powders, pills, and then you do protein bars, then you do protein drinks. Maybe then you do, like you said, protein pasta or, you know, something crazy like that. Um, And then there's kind of the question when you get into those like big leaps, the question is always, at least that I always have is, do you want to risk the brand equity um, of that that successful brand? um, Or does it make sense to move into more of like a platform extension from, or a, um, a portfolio extension where you're essentially like creating a new brand because um, mm-hmm. you have you see an opportunity you want to grab it but you're not really wanting to do quest pasta you'd rather just do uh, form pasta or whatever some name like that you just come up with but you utilize your existing framework of your business the resources you're able to like leverage some scale in your in your business but you don't want to take away the potential equity by flopping you know, something with Quest Pasta and then you're like, what the heck, you know, maybe the bars suck because the pasta sucked or whatever it is. So I think that that is one of those things that you have to like figure out because there's uh, some risk that happens with all this. And for whatever reason, at least in the sports nutrition space, like because they're making those small leaps, 
nobody ever really even considers it. It's just like we need we need to fill up the basket or we need to fill up as much of the belly as possible. Right. And they don't ever think about like, oh, if I make the best tasting pre-workout, but then I make a shitty protein. Sometimes people just bought the protein. Then the, now they're never going to buy your pre-workout because they your protein sucked. But yeah. for whatever reason, nobody ever thinks like there's any risk there. It's just like let's just bloat out the portfolio as much as possible and and extend the brand out to every category that we can within the uh, sports nutrition couch powders pills world, and we'll be fine. I think uh, I want to use two examples within our space that are more recent within the last couple of years. One very successful, one uh, un very unsuccessful. So the the very successful one I thought was was Mark coming out with the Outright Bar. So he could have branded that MTS Nutrition Protein Bar. He decided not to. Um, he uses MTS Protein within the bar. If you look at the ingredients fact panels, it, it's uh, in the supplements, uh, the, the, the food panel, it says MTS Nutrition Whey Protein Isolate. Uh, but he branded it Outright Bar. So um, I think that for him, it made sense because he wanted to get into uh, bigger retail, and I think not being branded as a bodybuilding brand made sense and more of an all-family brand. So I think him and Katie did a really good job of going into that realm. Now they're one of the more popular protein bars, not only just in sports nutrition, but you know, in some grocery chains now too are selling out of it pretty quick. And Vitamin Shop obviously had a, a fantastic launch with it. The flip side of that is Blackstone Labs. So Blackstone Labs, and this people probably totally forgot about this, but um, Blackstone, really big in basically pro-hormones and hardcore supplements, tried to launch an ice cream. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, so um, tried to launch an ice cream. It was like, I don't know if it was like $14 a tub. Essentially, PJ at Blackstone wanted to compete with Halo Top. He saw what Halo Top was doing in retail. Now, um, when I heard about the idea, I mean, he sent me some. I tried it. It was good. It wasn't a $14 thing of ice cream by any means at all. Um, but it's, you know, he had apparently befriended an ice cream maker who thought that they could put that protein powder into an ice cream. He was sold on the idea. Um, you had to have your orders in by X day so it could ship by X day. And I think he realized pretty quickly how much of a clusterfuck it was to ship the stuff and to make the stuff. Um, and since then, I, it, it's ceased to exist. But that is what we call uh, a failure in terms of category expansion. And your face tells it all. Like, you totally forgot about the ice cream. I'm how could you forget? Because now all the memories are flooding back to, like, some of the commentary I had during that time. Because I totally forgot about it until you just mentioned it. I think in myself, like, I, I am a lover of ice cream. I am, like, I eat it almost every night. But, like, literally it's the worst CPG category that you could be in. It is like one of the like hardest uh, categories of products that you can launch. And it's, there's a reason why there's not this like humongous amount of like commercial brands. I mean, there's a ton of little like ones because they can control their distribution in small areas, but like from national branding of like ice creams, um, it's so hard to do the cold chain distribution and not have like a, a shit ton of waste. Uh, yeah. So it's one of those things where um, now I'm remembering like that whole thing. And that's, uh, I mean, it, it's good, good, have a lot of balls doing that. I mean, I think I remember saying like, wow, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence in the brand to be able to do that. But um, yeah, I wouldn't consider that a success at all. No, definitely not. Uh, success means it would still be around and it's definitely not probably a good thing for him. So he saved a few bucks. Um, or, or didn't lose as much, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But that, that, that's kind of like um, the night and day difference between category expansion within sports nutrition. Now, um, you know, even you could even say like outright bar. Yes, it's a category expansion, or but it's still within sort of sports nutrition because it's a protein bar. So, I mean, ice cream was protein ice cream supposed to be. But like it's, you know, when Quest did the pizza, um, I was and, and they did the pasta um, and they did chips 
And uh, who knows? I think they did some other stuff too. Like it's it was a head scratcher for me personally. It's like how do they? And I but the thing is, I see Quest pizzas in the freezer uh, at Target, and so I don't know how well they do. I think they taste awful. Um, you know, if I'm gonna have a pizza, I'm gonna have a, a pizza. Like that's that's my thing, or I'll make my own at home. But I mean, I would just those are the type of conversations I want to be in there. And like, what type of consumer research is like? Okay, you have a loyal customer base on a protein bar. What makes you think that they're gonna buy your pizza? Because they're they're all about. They're health advocates, sure, but I mean, there's cauliflower crust pizza. There's a bunch of different things too that they could to do. So, like that is a that to me is like the extreme um, from our space, and you don't see brands do it very often. If ever, I can't even remember the last. I'm trying to think about a lot. Like, what would be the last brand to do something kind of crazy like that? Because um, I consider that a crazy move, uh, and apparently it was successful, maybe. Um, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's like it'd be like you know Singerman down in, in Boca being like, all right, you know. Tomorrow we're going to make uh, – Nate probably could do this successfully, but make pocket knives. You know, they could do that because they're kind of like the military-based um, – but they, they, they try to come out with like a gaming a gaming company. And then Redcon One Outdoors, for instance, there you go. Like that's an example of yeah. something that's completely different. Um, not much has happened with that yet, but like it's nice to see brands maybe try to at least think that way. But I think, I think the execution standpoint of it is a lot more difficult than people think. Yeah, I mean it's extremely hard. I mean I think that with – Quest, um, you know, the bar overall, and I think this comes down to maybe like this idea of the life cycle of products and brands. And with Quest, like they have a very strong brand um, in terms of like, there's a lot of reordering. There's a lot of people that are attached to the actual like brand hierarchy and, and just what they stand for, the platform, the diet platform that they stand for, all of that. So there's a little bit like, a, there's a strong connection and people might be thinking like, this guy's crazy. What are you talking about? Because like, they forget maybe even three or four years ago when the brand was like on fire where people literally like that was everybody, grandmas were buying this stuff. And, and the sales overall of Quest has continuously grown. And a lot of it has come down to becoming more of a platform. Yeah. Um, now their their bars are still their, their key hero skew. But this idea that the um, consumer bases are looking for more like better for you CPG, and we talked about this so many times, is that um, – if you trust a bar, and that's usually a lot of times where people enter the market into more like health and fitness CPG, they think like bars and shakes. So if you had a bar and you love the bar, it's natural that then if you offer maybe something else within the center aisles or the frozen aisles or something of a grocery store, that there's going to be some brand recognition. And that brand recognition hopefully is going to get you the same people that are interested in better for you CPG, like some aspect of getting higher protein, lower carb um, type of offerings. And that's what Quest has really been trying to do. Now, it takes a while. So I think that that's probably something that patients, um, I know that the chips and the, the pizzas have been getting continuous amount of distribution, retail point gains. Mm -hmm. um, so they have been growing. I think that that's all a numbers game where you need to be in the right places. Obviously, you can't sell those things uh, effectively at a Joe's supplement shop or something like that. You need to be in the Targets. You need to be in the Walmarts. You need to be in the Kroger's. Like That's how you, you get those things up to snuff and you actually can tell if people like them or not. Uh, but it's this idea that like with bars, like the category is only so big. It's a fragmented category. It's a very competitive category. Like and now that Quest specifically is owned by a bigger um, portfolio, um, they are looking if they buy an, they buy an asset like Quest for what was a billion dollars or whatever it was, 
you, you, you better be able to double, triple your um, revenue. How do you do that? You're not going to be able to sell three times more bars. That's not going to be the case. So the right. point is like, how do you broaden that platform out there? And, and, you know, they are also owned by like Atkins. Atkins has done a really good job at doing bar shakes, you know, frozen meals. I think they actually licensed that side out, which is another kind of idea. People could license the brand out to people that are better at frozen, better at ice cream, better at whatever. You could do those things. I would say that 99.99% of the brands within sports nutrition have nowhere near a strong enough brand to even think about what I just said. So <laughs> if they're looking at this and thinking, oh, you know, money, money, I'm going to do this, just stop because you're going to fall flat on your face real bad. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. Like, like I go back to the Blackstone example. It's like what, what the fuck did he think he was going to do? Like you'd have to buy a, a freezer for these supplement shops if that's where you want to be. That's not cheap at all. And you're, no. there's no way – in hell, you're getting into a Target or Walmart at that at price point. Like, not a chance. Not when somebody can buy Halo Top for $3.50. It just wasn't going to happen. Like, the average consumer at that level, they don't give a shit about whey protein isolate and, and your yeah. stuff. Like, they care. Oh, they look at it and say, okay, there's 330 calories per pint. I can eat this whole thing. I can eat three of these compared to one Ben & Jerry's. But Ben & Jerry's is better. I will tell you that. Ben & Jerry's <laughs> is much better. It's very, very good. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, you know – and to your point, like you stick to what you're good at, I think is is a big thing. But like one of the things, like I worked, I, I had the pleasure, and and I think it was a great experience for me to work um, in the net org sector when I was at General Mills. And from there, there wasn't still a lot of brands that kind of dominated the space. But I worked with one called Annie's that sort of dominated the kids market when it comes to organic. So they would literally like if you haven't had Annie's mac and cheese, you're probably living under a rock. But it was amazing. Uh, it actually did so well it cut up the craft. So like they, they did a really good job of, of challenging the big giants. But then they started thinking, OK, we need, we're going to go into popsicles and pancakes and soups. And they quickly realized like they couldn't be everything to everybody, like in terms of kids, like they couldn't be the kids brands in soup and in popsicles because in popsicles, for instance, like Kemp's and the ice cream brands kind of already ruled that space. Um, and it was very hard to, to really differentiate a popsicle or a push up or an ice cream sandwich from what was already out there. Um, but they attempted, you know, but even, even big brands struggle with what they should do. And I know, um, you know, we, we looked at when I was on Cascadia and we looked at category expansion was kind of like the big initiative for the next year in our in our big plans. It's like we need to find a new category to go into. And I always thought, like, why? Why not? Why not be the best at the category we're currently? We're not even the best at the current category that we're in. Like, why are we thinking about going to another category right now when we're, we're not number one in, you know, in these other categories? And, 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 and so um, I don't think they ultimately decided to go in it, but they were shooting out like um, dessert ideas like pie crusts and things of that nature and like pre-made pies and soups. It's like, well, we own a company called Progresso. They're going to – they own the soup market. Like what are we – they already make an organic soup. What are we thinking? You know, so um, I, think, I think it's a good idea to have the exercise and to throw as much ideas out there as possible, as crazy as they may seem. But then you need to take those ideas and you need to look at see, okay, what's actually realistic and what would make sense? Because another thing is like I said, like, you know, stick to what you're good at. And if you're trying to get in the CPG, and we mentioned this on a previous episode, like the buyers in these categories, they're all different. It's not the same buyer. You meet, and if, you, if you're lucky enough to get time with somebody from a Target or Walmart, you might get 15 minutes, if that, you know, and, or it might just be via email. And like, what's your elevator pitch to get you in? Because chances are somebody at Target doesn't know what your supplement brand is um, unless they work out slight chances um, that they're using it. But like, you need to have something completely different that you think you have a competitive advantage in that space, whether it be margins, taste, whatever it might be. And it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I guess I would just say, like, if you're thinking about it now, which, I mean, you should always be thinking about it, I think. But, like, you, if you're 
accelerating something in that and you're calling Josh and be like, Josh, I want you to fly down and I want you to help us fine-tune this idea, I think Josh is going to come with a, with a list of questions before he even gets on that flight. Um, or maybe he just gets on the flight because he's, he's so pent up he wants to go somewhere. And then he'll ask you the questions. Um, but I can't imagine that you've partook in these meetings silent. I bet you drilled them. You played devil's advocate and said, well, what about this, this, and that? You, you threw out competitors. And, I mean – what I mean, I know you have like you can't discuss everything, but like, have you heard just some crazy ideas? Yeah, and I think that I actually a lot of times um, try to get them to think more big and, and crazy um, because that, like you said, the practice of going through that is very helpful. So ideas obviously aren't worth anything until you actually turn them into execution and whatever. But I think that a lot of times if you're stuck in the weeds all the time, you're not even really seeing the opportunities. You're not seeing what's around the corner. And I think this does provide some, just, I guess, a practice or a procedure of making sure you have your head up every once in a while and look around and see mm-hmm. what's going on. Because like, just because there's a ton of opportunity and you understand like, oh, there's these feature sets that I could do or these value propositions that I could create. And this is me super unique in the market. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's still a go because you have to look at constraints within your business. Like, do you have the right financial uh, structure? Do you have the right team members? Do you have the right you know, brand? Do you have the right whatever? Like because just because your name is like ripped muscles, whatever, and you want to launch like the best mac and cheese possible, like it's not going to put on shelf. Nobody's going to put big ripped muscles, you know, mac and cheese on the on the shelf because it, like it just doesn't make sense. So there's all those things that people need to kind of consider because for whatever reason because they think they can create a better mousetrap, they just all of a sudden like get real gung-ho about it and start going full force. So for me, I do like them going through the process, but I also like the realistic idea of like push the brakes a little bit and saying, hey, have you solved these major issues? Because to your point, if you are going, a lot of it has to do with these bigger kind of CPG categories. A lot of it comes down to like your actual like sales channel strategy, your um, a lot of the back of the house stuff, not the front of the house stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because you need to make sure that you have those things in check to actually be able to fuel this new idea. It's a little bit different than like, say, Quest wants to come out with something else. Like, they have this um, big, massive um, history of like doing well within larger channels that like the bar guy that's in the active nutrition or healthy living section just calls up the, you know, the guy or the girl over in the middle of the section, the one that does the uh, cereals or whatever, and says, hey, you know, they're going to come over and pitch this for you. Like you should take a look at it because it might help this brand as a, as a platform. And like they get that intro for them a lot of times that's easier. But like, if you're a brand that has no real coverage, um, inside or awareness inside of these larger channels, you, you better be ready to like have something, uh, to offer them. that's like going to be foolproof and it's going to be something that they're going to believe in and everything's all the checks and balances are, are, are things. This is something that's super risky, you know, for right. people to do. So it's one thing to like go as fast as possible, minimum viable products, do all these things. Like w- when you're talking about things that, you know, very well within a digital sense and test and do all these things. But like when you're taking these big, massive ideas to market, you need to de-risk it as, as far possible. And if you're not, you, your probably success rate is already going to be lower than the like success rate of these products already. I mean, like food and beverage, there is, uh, I, unfortunately people didn't get to go to like Expo West or any of the fancy food shows or anything this year. Cause they were all canceled. But like, right. There is a, a cemetery, a graveyard of like awesome ideas that you're like, you look, you look at. And I remember I, I, every year I try like dozens of these things and I put them in my head thinking like, wow, that was 
so creative. Like I cannot imagine somebody thought of this. This is great. And then I look a year later and it's like bankrupt. It's done uh, because there's so many things that go into this. So it's like people need to realize that like just because you have this like super cool new mousetrap that you're going to launch, like doesn't mean it's going to be successful. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And um, I think you know, to your point, Josh mentioned it earlier in the podcast about like, you know, if you're, you start with a pre-workout and you go into post-workout, technically that's kind of like a new category, but that's still sports nutrition as a whole. Um, it's a little bit easier to make that jump than it would be to obviously go from, um, you know, pre-workouts to uh, whatever, something that's not, you know I mean? Um, the other part of this is like flavor extensions. And we, we, we talked about this on a recent episode when we talked about kind of like winners and losers in COVID, but doing skew rationaliza- rationalization and how... How and listen, they when you get people in the room, they're all like, What if we did this flavor? And what if we did that flavor? And then they try a bunch of flavors, and then somebody in that room likes all six of them. And then they decide, like, Let's let's plan to launch all six of them. You need to have a better strategy than just launching flavor after flavor because, um, there's a thing called cannibalization, right? Like, it's gonna cannibalize something that you currently exist. So, if you, I mean, it, it's like, Okay, yes, they're gonna spend time buying the new flavors in the beginning, but over time, it's gonna level itself back out. You're going to find out really who the winners and losers are in that spot. When in your, in your experience, because you've dealt more inside the rooms of sports nutrition. Um, I mean, how often do you think a brand should inject some life into the brand through a new flavor of a product? Um, you know, I think there's so many probably different variables to go into that, but I think that if, it is a kind of a fast growing category that's not all that established. I think you have, and, you, and your brand is really grabbing market share. I think you have more liberty to go as quick as possible. Sure. So, as an example, if it's like, uh, say, two or three years ago with like a collagen protein, like if you had a flavored collagen protein um, and you just keep like on fire, growth is on fire, you, just, you can launch as many as possible because there's, there's so many new people coming into the market that you're also getting people that are trying to try it and true, the new ones, like you're not necessarily eating away too much. But if you look at something maybe like a pre-workout category, the, the category doesn't grow like 30, 40, 50% year over year. It's like just trickling along. And because of that, it's not like there's a lot of new buyers that are coming into that category. So all of a sudden, if you launch flavor after flavor after flavor, odds are they're probably either not choosing one of your existing flavors, they're just trying a new flavor right. because you're not adding so many new customers into that into that category or you know, into your brand or anything like that. So I think it's something that you have to kind of take a look at. And I've always thought that you have your um, – tried and true flavors that generally are ones that probably sell better in like, um, your larger sales channel. So, you know, people make jokes all the time about like vanilla and chocolate or those types of things. But like, if you're in a vitamin shop or GNC, like, unfortunately that's what people buy. That's yep. just what they buy. Cause it's just tried and true. And they might like to buy the fancy cereal milk, this or the, that or whatever. But like there is the tried and trues that they go back to because it's easier to add in the fruits or the peanut butter or whatever they add into their, or their shakes. Um, so you have to have those ones in there, but then how much do you build off of that, of your core, um, flavors? And usually then it comes, I like to say like around seasonality, is there some special, like, uh, limited launches? Like, is there something that you can create like a buzz around it that like creates exclusivity to it or, or something like that? I think that helps a little bit mm-hmm. because it, it does make you kind of take, take the a skew away every right. once in a while, take the flavor away. So it gives you in the practice of not keeping things around. But I think that a lot of it comes down to probably like the category growth size and then how strong is your brand um, overall. Like if you want, if you think you're gaining more of that category, you want more land grab, then you probably go after it. But you have to really be paying attention when you launch something for the next several months, pay attention to like what the existing flavors did um, 
where was the cannibalization at, you know, to your point, to make sure that you're not necessarily just, you know, launching flavors and thinking you're getting um, more growth, uh, top line growth. You're not right. really doing that because you're actually getting um, some things kind of happening on the other existing flavors. So I, it's not an easy answer to, to say, but I would say that it's the easiest new product to launch. <laughs> yes. It's the least amount of risk. So because of that, if you need to keep something going on in your you know, brand, some type of cadence, at least that's probably your least risky. Um, but I would say if you're going to do something like that, it's probably more towards seasonality or limited launches or something that like, you know, keeps the conversation going in a more unique way over just like every month you launch a flavor or something right. like that. Because I, I don't know if that really does all that much. Let's talk about the seasonal and limited launches for a second, because I think a business in the world that does this very well is the microbrewery market. Um, I don't know how big the microbrewery market is in Austin, but in Minneapolis, it, it's it's pretty massive to the point where um, these people now, obviously, the consumers are a little bit different, but people who really enjoy microbrews, which if you're listening, and you don't know what that is. It's just like a fancier beer, heavier beer, typically more alcohol content, hoppy or IPAs or whatever you want to talk, call them, but they will stand in line. And that line will go down the block here in Minneapolis for people when they launch. There, there's a brand called Surly, which is pretty popular here. And they come out with one um, in the fall every year. And people will line up hours beforehand because it's just a limited thing. Like, it creates buzz for the brand. It decreases liability on you as a brand because you're only producing X amount. And once they're gone, they're gone. Um, I'm a huge fan of this this method. And actually, I've implored it. I uh, put in Fitbars that we were doing. And I, I'm going to keep doing it because I think – what that does is it says people need to pay attention to us so they know when this stuff comes because if they sleep on us for even a little bit, they're going to miss the opportunity to get something epic. Yeah. No, I like it. I mean, and, and there's even like different layers you could put into it where, you know, you only um, let the people know like within your insider group. Like, mm -hmm. like if you have a special text line or you have a special like, you know, email list or something like that where like you add layers to like – Break it down to who are your biggest, most intense fans because you want to know who those people are because those are the ones that you tend to want to treat the best anyways. Right. Um, so there's ways to kind of layer in like different marketing strategies, communication strategies, whatever, into these like launches. It's not necessarily just like just what you normally do with your typical launches. I think there's different ways to kind of isolate, um, you know, whatever kind of strategies you want in terms of different business uh, functions within um, your organization. But I think it's... It's uh, for me, I've always enjoyed it because it also adds like some storytelling in there, you know, where um, if you're doing a fall thing, you know, the easiest one to do is like, you know, pumpkins or things like that. But at least it it has some storytelling along with it. It doesn't seem like you're not thinking through right. ideas, um, which I think it, people appreciate. People appreciate that people are thinking through um, some different things. So when you do have like even some small things like it's National Peanut Butter Cookie Day or whatever, or, like. Somebody had to look on a calendar to see that and had to backtrack all the other lead times to get to that point. Mm -hmm. That has to prove at least that somebody's got at least a pretty good understanding of their business if they're doing all that stuff. Um, and consumers notice that as much as probably people think they don't. Uh, I think they do because they're like, wow, they actually put some thought into this. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm a huge fan. And even like that was – that's like seasonal and all. It's within CPG too. I was a big fan of that for like cereal and things of that nature when you do something <clears throat> quick and, and get it in and out. Um, I, I think it's a big thing. Um it's, it's, an, it's, I mean, I think, you're, like you said, it's the easiest one to do. It's the one that people tend to do the most of. It's like, all right, we're going to launch a new flavor, um, do this and that, which makes the most sense because you don't always want to be launching new products. I mean, that, that, that's also can be a clusterfuck waiting to happen, too. So, 
Um, I also think like it, you know, I look at a company like Myoblox who used to do the limited editions all the time. That's kind of what their business model was. Um, they were able to make it work, I believe. I mean, they're still around, they're still in business, they're still doing some cool stuff, but they don't do it nearly as much as they used to. And I wonder what they learned in that process because they were doing one. It almost seemed like almost every other month they had a drop of like 4,000 units. And then when they were gone, they were gone. Um, but they may have not had, I, I can't remember, but they may have not had a ton of SKUs to begin with. So this made it give them an opportunity to kind of do that. But um, I mean, do do brands today or, or reach out to you anymore, Josh, and ask for your opinion on these things or what they should do? Yeah, and to your point around the Myoblox thing, I mean, this is just speculation, but I think because they were sold so much through brick and mortar, they were missing an element of like a feedback loop. Um, sure. Like if you would launch something either on your own direct website or on Amazon, you know, and there's so many different ways to kind of utilize Amazon for whatever reason, people have like pigeonholed them into like some you know way that they operate on Amazon. But mm -hmm. like you could create like AB, like burner brands. You could create like there's so many different things that like really high um, – Let's say like high IQ Amazon sellers do things that people don't even know what they do. And what I'll say is like there's elements of like creating burner brands or burner products where like you do A-B tests on on different um, – like if you're going to launch maybe a uh, – do you want to launch that brand with a certain flavor or certain um, – uh, new packaging or something like that, you'll create things and actually put it to sell and see what mm -hmm. the feedback loops are. It takes you a couple months to, if you have the money table to put into like Amazon ads and stuff to actually get some volume right off the bat. But like you do these things and, and you actually can get a feedback loop, which is super useful to you because you, we mentioned, I think at the beginning of the episode, you were saying about it helps you when you're doing these things to like test different um, flavors or ideas. Like if right. you launch like a limited thing, that might be, you know, you see how well it does. You see the feedback loops from like reviews or you you ask for different opinions with your email list or whatever it is to try to get some data from a flavor perspective. Then you go six months from now, you launch it full force and you launch it into your, your regular portfolio of flavors because you knew how well people loved it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, like if you're only launching it and you don't really have that feedback loop element, um, I don't know if it really provides you as much uh, of a benefit as you you could or, or wish you had because you don't really know like yeah it's sold because somebody picked up 12, 12 12 you know like these retailers but like how then do you go to those retailers and ask them like hey how did johnny like it that bought the sixth unit did he like it you know right. you're like i don't know he he came back and bought something else next week i don't know like it, it's just tough i think you if you're going to be doing those things you need to make sure that you have I guess all the ducks in the row to actually get the benefit from it. If not, yeah. it's just like, oh, I'm just trying to create some like false elements of like supply and demand. Yeah, um, it's it's and I, it's funny. It's like we're gonna see a bunch of flavor launches <laughs> coming very soon too, <laughs> because like that's what people did during COVID. It's like what the flavor can we come out with? So um, if you if you guys liked what you heard, we sparked some interest in, in your um, or if it's something that you've been thinking about in terms of maybe category expansion and you need some help, um, cheap plug for Josh. He will. Uh, He'll help you out with that that thinking, um, at least walk you through. And I think the best part is to have somebody from the outside come in and help you with that because, like, when you're drinking the same Kool-Aid every single day, you convince yourself that your idea is the greatest on the planet, and you do it, and then you fail, and then you feel like shit. So have somebody that's not closely attached to your brand give you feedback on it and and find somebody who's not a yes man because that's the – that's I mean, if there's somebody who's like, yes, sir, yes, sir, that's me, great – you need somebody who's going to challenge you a little bit um, because, I mean, and, unless your idea is the best idea in the entire planet and there's no challenges to give you, there's going to be challenges with everything and you should at least 
be able to hear them from another party. So um, if you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify over at YouTube. You can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as well. You can follow Josh on his his uh, Instagram, his LinkedIn, everything. Uh, same with me as well. Josh, good episode, man. This was good. That was good, yeah. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.